0: computer initialize hollow HollowSuite hollow media And welcome to Not-So-Random Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review recently completed Star Trek seasons. My name is Andrew, and I'll be co-hosting for this very special bonus edition of RTR. And I'm joined by uh, Matt this week. And, of course, it's now become tradition here on RTR that uh, you can choose who you want to be from... Season one, Lower Decks. Do you want to be a bumbling Boiler, Boimler, a reliable Rutherford, a trusting Tendi, mischievous Mariner? What are you feeling like being today?
1: Uh, I'm going to go off the board and I'm going to go with Stalwart Shax.
0: Okay, very nice. Very nice. The
1: big, burly, Bajoran uh, security officer.
0: I like it. I think I'm going to go with a trusting Tendi, which is kind of ironic because she's Ryan, but uh, you know what? Uh, As we found (laughs) out, she's chosen another (laughs) path. And uh, I guess the other thing that we should mention, Matt, is Happy Thanksgiving as we sit down here on uh, the Monday after. Lower Decks finished up, which of course is our Canadian Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving.
1: To all our f- listeners north of the border, yes, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed a big old turkey and uh, mashed potatoes and all the trimmings, as uh, I believe both of us either have or will.
0: No doubt. and
1: You've had yours. You, you, ate, you, had, you, you cooked yours yesterday, right?
0: Yeah, I'm always a Sunday. Sunday, with all the football and everything else, I feel like is kind of the key day. And then you have Monday to recover exactly, and all the leftovers so <laughs> to
1: lie down and let your stomach uh, recover from all the stretching and overeating. Indeed, and I mean, I <laughs> guess like
0: this year, you and I are giving thanks for all this Star Trek that we're getting. Right, uh, we've got uh, the end of Lower Decks, and this is kind of the turning point into Discovery season three. So there's lots to be thankful for.
1: Yeah, the time we this will air the the first season episode of Discovery should be uh, out. For us to enjoy.
0: Indeed, yes. So, uh, of course, I guess we should mention that this will be spoiler filled. Uh, as we kind of are going to go through all the episodes of Lower Deck Season 1. And uh, it originally aired on August the 6th, 2020, and went into October the 8th, 2020. So if you're, uh, you know, listening to this 900 years in the future, you'll uh, know kind of uh, where we were at when we uh, recorded this. Uh, There were some guest stars on Lower Deck Season 1. We got uh, John Delancey as Q. Jonathan Frakes as Riker, Marina Sirtis as Troy, Haley Joel Osmond as Connor, J.G. Hertzler as Drukmani Captain, Kurtwood Smith as Klar, and Jack McBrayer as Badgie. Uh, Matt, did you
1: know that we were getting any of these
0: uh, guest stars ahead of time, or were these all surprises for you?
1: Every single one of them was a surprise. I had no idea any of these actors were, uh, were going to be appearing yeah, they did a pretty good job of uh, keeping that under wraps. I was quite surprised by pretty much all of them.
0: Yeah, was there any that you didn't know until kind of the end of the season? Because there was a couple there when I was going through that I went, oh, I didn't know that that was who played that character. Um, did you get any slip through the radar or no?
1: Kerwood Smith, I didn't really get till I saw the name on the end credits, and J.G. Hurts, like the Druk-Mani captain, the voice sounded very familiar. And as soon as I saw the name on the credits, I was like, okay, yep, that's right. That's who that was. But yeah, though, I think the rest of them I was able to pick out.
0: Yeah, the two that got me tricked was Haley Joel Osment as Connor. Um, that was one that I didn't really know. I don't, I mean, Haley Joel Osment hasn't really done anything recently, I don't think anyway. But of course, he's famous from Sixth Sense and his childhood acting. Um, and then Jack McBrayer, which of course is from 30 Rock, I didn't piece together that he was Badgie, and that's kind of odd because Badgie was on two different episodes, I want to say. I mean, it, it's kind of the perfect voice for that particular character, but yeah, I just I didn't know until I started writing up our kind of script here, and I went, oh, geez, yeah, that's who that was. So yeah, I'm pretty happy that uh, we got so many different guest stars, and I, I kind of hope maybe that this is a recurring thing where... They're not going to maybe spoil it and give away uh, who is going to be on the season, and we'll be able to kind of figure out as we go.
1: I have to admit that when I first heard Q, when Q first showed like appeared and was talking, I wasn't hundred percent sure it was actually John Delancey. I thought maybe they got someone who sounded like him, but by the end of the episode, I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely John Delancey.
0: Yeah, I I, th- I felt the same way. There was kind of an initial little bit there where I was like, oh, that doesn't sound quite right. But I mean, by the same token, as you get older, your voice changes. So you can't really expect like TNG level John DeLancey. Like hide and cue? Right. You're going to only be able to get kind of the older the older
1: voice version. But I was pretty happy with it. Do you think they did that on purpose to make you like wonder? And then by the end, they're like, yeah, yeah, use your normal voice. I don't know. Maybe they did that on purpose.
0: That was maybe the only one that they kind of gave away because there was a trailer in like the halfway mark, I want to say, that had Q pop up at the very end. I don't think he said anything, but I almost wonder if maybe you're right. They actually put that in as a, you know, is it going to actually be the real voice or is it going to be a fake voice or something? So I'm glad that we got John Delancey and I feel like, They didn't blow their wad, as in, we have a lot of Star Trek names that could potentially pop up in future seasons. Uh, They didn't really give us anything crazy, crazy here, I wouldn't say. I think that John Delancey, he's been in lots of different series... Frakes and Surtis have been in lots of different series. Kurtwood Smith has kind of been in the original series movies, and he was in Voyager. Um, And then the other, well, J.G. Hertzler has been in lots of stuff as well. Um, And then the other two are kind of more like celebrity guest stars. So there's a lot of Star Trek names that we could potentially see in the future, Matt.
1: Yep, it's true.
0: Um, The only other thing that we didn't really mention was that this was created and run by Mike McMahon, which, of course, is always the final thing that we see on the credits each Uh, time that we watch uh, Lower Decks and so uh, yeah we should give credit where it's due. All right Matt um, I'm not sure how many kind of Star Trek fans that you have in your inner circle but in terms of my friends I kind of feel like you're one of the only ones that I know that are really like a true hardcore Star Trek fans, so I'm really itching to kind of jump into this because I kind of feel like you know we've been given this glorious little nugget of nostalgia and callbacks and tie-ins and just kind of Star Trek goodness. And I don't really know a lot of people who watch it, so yeah, I'm really excited to kind of dig into this. Uh, And I'm I'm almost kind of so excited I don't know where to start. What do you think about maybe just starting with kind of a general sense of the structure of the show? Um, we'll also maybe talk about the uh, opening credits and the animation. I think that might be would be a good place to kind of start. Um, what is your thoughts about the way that the shows are structured? Do you think that they have kind of encapsulated what the Star Trek episode is, even though it's twenty minutes, or do you think they've had to kind of change it for its cartoon version?
1: Well, I think that the twenty minute or twenty whatever it is twenty four minute. Uh, length uh, I think they've been able to manage that a lot better than the other animated series has uh, the, the other animated series it's like they took 45 minutes and tried to cram it into 24 minutes and I feel like I feel like at times it, it kind of moves quickly but I don't think it's like at a dizzying pace that is disorienting I think you can still enjoy it because you still have a chance to absorb what's happening so I think they've done a pretty good job of using the 24 minutes speed Length to tell a pretty pretty good story, and I, I really like that they've sort of made them more self-contained. There, I mean, there are there are sort of some ramifications to what happens from one episode to the next, but generally, I mean, you can pretty much turn on any of these, and if you haven't seen it or or haven't been watching them in order, and still enjoy it. So, um, I think as far as like the 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 format, I think it was they they used it very well.
0: Yeah, they've actually kind of kept the same you know, plot arcs or not plot arcs, but, um, kind of more like the, the, the plot acts, right? So like, there's kind of like the teaser, then you get the title card, then you kind of get like act one, two, and three. Um, they're obviously shorter because it's a cartoon and they've had to kind of change some of the ways that they do it depending on the episode. But I do like that it definitely feels like a Star Trek episode in the sense that something is introduced and then, you know, there's some sort of conflict and they have to resolve it. And then by the time you get to the end of the episode, we're pretty much back to where we had started. So I, I really appreciate that. And I mean, I guess that kind of transitions nicely into the next section, which is, you know, the the opening title card, right? It, this is something that you and I have discussed. Every Star Trek fan has discussed you know the opening card. Which one is the best? Which one is the worst? Which one has the the best music? Which one, whatever, right? What are your thoughts on lower decks and uh, the opening title card?
1: The music is great. Uh, I have caught myself humming that theme song more than I would care to admit. Uh, so the music is really good i i love the title card i think it's like i think it's kind of ridiculous but i think that that is very fitting for the show there's the one spot where the ship is like sort of cruising along slowly and then as it like gets to the back part of the engine there's like a giant like space bug like <laughs> latched onto it i love that I thought it I, I, I laugh every time i see it so i think the title card like the music is good just generally and i think it's 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 goofy and it and it should be goofy because this is a goofy show. So I think it's very good and very fitting for the the tone of the series.
0: It's very Voyager esque, right? I think that Voyager probably is the one standout title card where. You know, they're cruising by the sun and then they're going through the ice particles and it's almost like they took that same idea here, but then goofed on it, right? Like it gets sucked into the black hole. There's like the space slug that's attached to it. There's the big Borg fight and the Cerritos just turns around and drives away. Like there's so many little things here that is just so great. And I have to agree, the music is amazing. The visuals are amazing. Like they knocked this one out of the park, Um, I think that in terms of the actual song, I don't know that it would necessarily like top Deep Space Nine or Voyager or Next Generation for me. But I mean, in terms of like for the first season, oh, my goodness, like I could maybe see myself in the future saying this is one of my favorites for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely up there for me. All
0: right. I guess maybe the last kind of thing that I just want to want to talk about the show in general is uh, what are your thoughts on the way that it looks and the way that it feels? Because I kind of think that this is two things that they we both were, were pretty confident that the uh, visuals would be good. I mean, it's 2020, right? Um, it's not like animated shows are anything new nowadays. But what about the feel of the show? Just I mean, like how Star Trek does it feel?
1: It, it does feel pretty Star Trekky to me um, because they're on a ship and they're doing the, you know, jobs that you probably hear about but you never actually see on the show. And so I, I, it wasn't like being thrown into a completely foreign environment and being told, no, this is a Star Trek show. You definitely know that it's it's a Star Trek show, just from the way they talk and the jobs that they're doing and the things that they are encountering uh the ship is you know very star trekian, so I mean it's it's pretty spot on as far as being a a Star Trek show at least for me
0: yeah, I think that the one thing that this show did that I think a lot of people don't like about discovery and don't like about Picard and I know that you and I have both had this discussion before is that it's almost like they went to a Reddit form, a Star Trek form, a Star Trek uh, <laughs> you know, convention or something, and went around and asked people, like, what do you want to see? It's set in the perfect time zone, right? Like right after the glory era of Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Next Generation. They have like uniforms that are different but familiar, and I absolutely love the way that they look. I think that the way that the ship looks, all the control panels, like the medical bay, the storage rooms, like everything, the shuttles even, uh, is just perfect. It's basically like TNG Voyager Deep Space Nine and a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like they've kind of maybe put a little bit of polish on it. They've changed a couple of little things, but it feels like that world and it feels like that universe. And I also feel like When we do get Riker showing up or when we get Q showing up or we get whoever, like it's played for jokes and it's for laughs, but it still feels like it could be in that universe. You know what I mean? It's almost as if they took some of the more jokey episodes of like Next Generation and the jokey episodes in Voyager and stuff and was just like, well, what if there was a show that was just like that? You know, they were all Fistful of Datas. They were all, you know, Fairhaven, or whatever the case may be, or Bride of Chaotica. Like, they've kind of taken all those things that we all know, we all love, and they basically just cut away all the serious ones. And I think that they've just done it so beautifully.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Like, I've, I, I've always said, like, you know, you know that I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and I love The Simpsons, and I just love comedy in general. And I always wondered, like, what if they just did, like, a Star Trek sitcom? What would that look like? And I always thought that there was a lot of potential for it to be really good and really funny. And they've essentially done exactly what I've always wanted in that way with this show. And, you know, it, it, the fact that it's animated also really opens up possibilities for them that they wouldn't have in a live action show. And I think that they, you know, we, we, we can talk about this a little later on, but I think that they really use the animation part of it pretty, pretty well to do a bunch of zany, crazy things.
0: The only thing that I would maybe say about this show that, that that is maybe slightly negative is that would this show be funny if you had never watched Star Trek? Would this show even be watchable if you had never watched Star Trek previously?
1: Well, that's a very interesting question i my 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 partner who has an, is zero interest in Star Trek has never really watched much of it ever. She sat and watched the entire ten episodes with me, and she loved it. She thought it was hilarious, and she loved it. She couldn't get enough of it.
0: Really? Okay, so that's maybe the litmus test.
1: So I, yeah, I think if you, I, I think if you are a Star Trek fan, you will, you will probably appreciate it more. Right. But I don't know if you necessarily need to be a Star Trek fan to enjoy it and to to think it's funny. Because I think some of the jokes and some of the, you know, zany situations that they're in, like they're just sort of universal things you know universally funny so i mean that's kind of an anecdotal example but i I feel like i i you know watching it i feel like there's enough there that isn't like directly drawn from star trek that it's still funny right
0: but i do feel like if you are a star trek fan it's like times a million because there's just so many references and so many tie-ins that if you are a fan of star trek it just goes from being good to being amazing almost
1: I'll give you a specific example. So there's that one episode where they're debating who the biggest badass in the galaxy is. And they're like, oh, no, it's it's they're they're arguing over whether it's Khan or Roga Danar. And I laughed my ass off when when Boimler dropped Roga Danar in that uh, that debate. And my 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 partner didn't really get that. I think she sort of understood that these were two sort of known characters that were really big badasses. But. Like, like Yeah. You, like, that's a, that's a deep cut. That is a deep, deep cut. Right.
0: And I guess, you know what, that ties nicely into my next question, which is, is this the most rewatchable Star Trek series that they've ever made?
1: It could be. I certainly wouldn't mind sitting down and watching it again, because there's so many jokes there's to so make catch on, right? in it right yeah exactly yeah
0: and i feel like there's a lot of things too like anytime there's anything on the screens or like on a billboard or something in behind i kind of feel like it's almost one of those games where you're trying to pick out all the different episodes from past episodes or from past things right so i mean some of the jokes are really kind of like in your face on the nose but then there's so many little things i almost wonder if you re-watch this two three times you'd pick up things that you never heard before like that's a great example. Like Roga not I, I, I had to be like, who was who that again? And then, I, you know, what I mean, it's almost like I have to go and like Google it and be like, oh, that episode, like that is a deep cut, right? But then if you remember it, you know it even more so, right? So I think that, uh, yeah, an excellent point uh, all around. And I, I do kind of feel like, have you watched this once or twice through?
1: I've only watched it once through so far.
0: Yeah, me as well. But I do feel like this is probably the series that as soon as it ended, I almost wanted to go back to the beginning and start watching it over again.
1: Yes, yes, me. I definitely would love to go back, even today, and watch all ten again.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time to be a Star Trek fan. Like that is kind of the that is kind of the thing that I remember the most about you know the the gory air, air of Star Trek. You know that kind of mid '90s where everybody was talking about it, everybody was interested in it. You wanted to see what happened next. Like there is just that like passion that seems like it's flowing back into my veins, which is a very exciting thing. Uh, and I guess maybe the, the the next thing to talk about would be the, the, season, the series premiere, which was uh, Second Contact. I think that we both had some reservations when the show got announced, when we, the trailer came out, when we did our little preamble about what we thought it was going to be. So, you know, we sit down, we, we, we get our, our soda pop and our, our, our thing of popcorn, Second Contact drops and... I mean, what do we get? What were your initial thoughts? Like how far into the show did you get before you were like, yes, I like this or, oh, God, this is horrible. um, Or did it take a few episodes for you to kind of get a feel for it?
1: Uh, It didn't take long, like maybe five, eight minutes into the first episode. I was like, "Okay, this this is as long as it's this is sort of the typical what we can expect. This is going to be really good. This is going to be. Funny, it's going to be Star Trekian, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It it didn't take me very long to be to be sold on it. I mean, I would say after one episode, I was like, okay, that's pretty good. After two episodes, I was like, oh boy, I can't wait to get to to, to the next episode and and all the ones beyond it. It it didn't take long to sell me on this show.
0: And and I mean, I tend to agree. I think that. When I saw the trailer, I thought that it was going to be a certain way. It felt like the jokes were going to be really spastic and and that the stuff that they were going to do was not going to really be for me. But then when the actual episode came out, like, yeah, there was a couple of things that maybe weren't as funny as others. But um, it almost felt like it worked better once you started to kind of get the idea of the characters and stuff. I mean, the whole show is based around these four ensigns. And... They've done a really good job in in kind of giving them their own unique kind of personalities, their own unique backstories, and, like, I don't know what your thoughts are, but, like, I kind of find them all to be, like, very likable, and, I mean, in some cases, maybe very lovable. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of the main characters? I guess we could maybe just go... I mean, you can just talk about it in general. Well,
1: I think you kind of hit on it when you said that they all are sort of different and unique, but they are all very likable characters. Like there aren't of the main four, I don't really dislike any of them. They're all they all have their own sort of unique qualities and personalities, but they all kind of mesh together in this this nice, nice way. And I I really enjoyed all four of them.
0: Was there anybody in particular that you thought you weren't gonna really like, but then when you actually saw them, you were like, "Oh, actually, you know what? That was pretty good."
1: Tendy is very like bubbly, and and that kind of person doesn't always mesh well with me because I'm a very sort of laid back, reserved kind of person. But it wasn't so overwhelming that I it it bothered me. It was like it was it was enough. It was enough that it's like okay, she's this really eager eager to please kind of person but it wasn't so over the top that it bothered me i was able to to you know it
0: it was fine that's just who she is and i feel like this is a great example actually where like i like to me tendy is just like so lovable like I, i don't necessarily think that she's the funniest character and i don't necessarily think she's maybe the interesting character i think but she's just like likable when she's on the screen you're just happy that she's there and the things that she does and the stuff she gets into is like, heartwarming, maybe, is is the word. I, I kind of find, like, that pair, the rutherford tendy pair, are, like, the super optimistic, like, super Star Trekky, like, maybe way too trusting, way too, too, you know, optimistic. But, like, there's something about that that is, is likable. Um, I mean, way more so than, like, Ensign Tilly, which we get in Star Trek Discovery, where she's kind of the same prototype, you know? Like, the bubbly, like silly zany character but in Discovery I kind of find like that's annoying whereas here I, I find it lovable and I, I don't know necessarily what the difference is but I think that uh, yeah there's something about the way that they've kind of put Rutherford and Tendy together a lot and the fact that they're both so optimistic and they've kind of got this like really wholesome friendship that like really works for me I don't know what it is but it really really works
1: yeah definitely and then on the other side, you got Boimler and Mariner, who are always like, they're always like up to something, right? Like, like Boimler's like you know trying to get promoted, and he's all you know following all the rules or whatever, right? And he's, he, he I don't want to say scheming because there's sort of a negative connotation to that word, but he's he like he's always like planning and and trying to accomplish something for himself, and I think Mariner is kind of the same way, but in a very different. She goes about it very differently, whereas you know, like you say Tendy and Rutherford they just they're they're they just care about everyone else and about the ship and everything, and that's all that they're concerned with. They're not really as worried about themselves, I guess
0: yeah, and it's interesting because Mariner and Boimler are like really good friends, but they're the opposite, like they're always at each other, they're always constantly bickering and it's kind of like you can almost imagine friendships like that right where you've got this almost like a healthy competition and there's this nattering and everything but there's like a real love underneath it all which is like a a very stark contrast between the two now that would actually bring up the only thing that i don't necessarily love about the show and again season one 10 episodes totally forgivable do you feel like they maybe didn't do enough mixing and matching like it seemed to me like a lot of the episodes were Mariner Boimler and Tendy Rutherford. Um, there wasn't really a lot of like Mariner Tendy episodes or Boimler Rutherford episodes. And I think it's because of one of two reasons. It's so early that there's just the way that it worked out. Or it's because Mariner and Boimler are kind of both command officers. And so they're more likely to be in similar stories. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because that was like one of the things that I kind of wish that I had seen more of was more mix ups.
1: I think it would have been good, but I didn't really it didn't really take away from anything I didn't really notice notice it to be honest um it never really occurred to me that gee wouldn't it be more fun if Rutherford and Boimler teamed up i don't know i just it did the stories i guess it just sort of dictated that that was just the way that it panned out i guess I don't know i didn't I didn't really notice it, and it didn't really bother me.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it just gives way more in the future for future episodes, right? In the, in the future, we could potentially get more mix-ups and matchups ups and, and see those interactions, which I think is great. The other thing that they did really well is, is that the command crew or the, the senior staff, as it were, is in a lot of the episodes, they're very important, but I never felt like they stole the show.
1: Well, I think they did a very good job of kind of flipping the trip, typical Star Trek script by having the bridge crew in the background and the, the you know, the grunt workers in the front. Uh, I, I thought that the bridge crew was, I thought we got enough of them and we got to learn enough about them and they were interesting enough. But they, like I, like you said, I don't really feel like they stole the show. And they didn't really spend a lot of time in the spotlight. Like They were just sort of there to move the story along when when they needed to be. And I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you, Matt. They did an excellent job with the, the command crew or the senior staff. Uh, I am a little bit surprised at how much love they get from the fandom. Uh, when I was on that open channel a couple of weeks back, uh, we were listening through some reading through some comments from online and it was like, people love Tana, people love Freeman, people love Shaxx and I didn't have that feeling. Not that I didn't think they were great, not that I didn't think that they were interesting but I didn't really have this kind of visceral love for any of the command crew. I'm kind of more in line with the Ensigns where I see the command crew as like holier than thou and they think they're so great and they're always taking all the credit like that's kind of the feeling that i got about them but yeah there is a lot of people who love the command crew even though we only get them in, in small kind of batches um were you surprised by that or are you like right along with them you are just like gobbling all that stuff up
1: i like shacks just because he's like the most over-the-top security officer that you could imagine but i i mean i like it because it's, it's a bit ridiculous not necessarily because he's a great character and i mean i i tend to gravitate more towards the the lower decks crew than the command crew because the command crew is not even really in it that much
0: no you only get little snippets but one of the things that i think happens a lot of the time is that it becomes like the boba fett effect where you know you have a character that's only in it for a little bit and then people become obsessed with them because it's kind of the less is more in a way uh i know that uh that definitely has the possibility of happening and I, I I do feel that like maybe that's what's happening here is that you know people love these characters because you're only getting a small little taste you're not getting so much of it that you know you're getting a bellyache
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: I guess that is kind of it for the command crew there was some kind of characters that popped in and out um, here and there uh, what were your thoughts on I mean I guess kind of like the alien species and the characters that. Were uh, weren't part of the main crew and weren't part of the lower decks, like the 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 guest people, the weekly people. What would you call them?
1: I, there weren't any that stuck out to me as being really bad. Uh, I thought some of the aliens that we saw were pretty cool, and uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, generally speaking, I thought the characters that they they showed us in this season were all were all pretty pretty good, whether they be the regular ones or just the the one offs.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that they did an excellent job capturing the characteristics that we're so used to in Star Trek, but then giving them their own spin and their own motives and their own backstories. And I think they did such an excellent job with it. All right, Matt, it feels a little strange just because this is not really the kind of show where you get, you know, a lot of arcs and and mystery and Things to discuss and things to to complain about, uh, but I do think there is some nice little arcs that we get. Again, we only have ten episodes, twenty minute episodes at that, and so the stuff that we get is pretty small. But I do like the things we get. So um, I think that obviously the first one and the biggest one is this kind of feelings and reaction and interaction between Mariner and her mother because uh, Mariner obviously has kind of a storied back history and so you know she's kind of been tucked away on the Cerritos under the care of her mother uh, because you know she has just run into so much trouble in the past and stuff. Uh, What are your thoughts on let's call it the Mariner story arc?
1: Yeah it's interesting you know because you don't get to see in regular Star Trek a lot of like sort of badass Officers that break the rules and sort of do what they feel like doing or what they think is right, and so it's a very stark contrast to what we're we're used to. And I think it's a nice wrinkle that she makes her, or that they made her the captain's daughter, because then you sort of get that feeling of like, oh, she's doing it as to to be a rebel, or she's doing it just as like a reaction against what her her mother has, and I guess her father too, because we know that her father's an admiral. Um, so she, it's like she's you know reacting against what they've, what she's known all her life, I guess. So it, it's kind of an interesting little piece of uh, plot that we sort of get throughout the season.
0: I do find it interesting too that they have kind of speckled her backstory with all this intrigue. Like she's worked with Will Riker before. She worked on Deep Space Nine. She's she's worked on multiple ships. And she's been promoted up the ranks, and then been torn down the ranks. So we don't know exactly what her past is, but it seems from what we see of her that she is doing things for the right reasons. She just doesn't really necessarily believe in the Star Trek hierarchy. Like she almost has a disdain for being ranking for ranking up, uh, because there is such snobbery i guess amongst the amongst the command crew and i mean there's that one episode where she becomes the 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 right hand woman uh for her friend and she like purposely blows it because she just doesn't ever want to kind of get to that spot um it's something that we've never seen in star trek uh every person that has ever been in starfleet before has always wanted to rank up and so to have somebody who's so adamantly against it is a very interesting thing
1: yeah exactly And i think it's like a perceived snobbery she thinks that you know the people that are way up at the top are the sort of the way that you might you know people in our time might perceive like upper management you know and and so on and i think it's the reason that she sees it that way is because she sees how her mother is and assumes that they're all like that and so i mean it kind of makes sense that she might kind of you know, react against that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I think that it's a stark contrast to Boimler, who is the one who is constantly trying to be promoted, who's doing all the right things, but then is almost tripping over his own feet at his effort and it kind of is holding him back all the way through so i mean boimler's arc is not really necessarily an arc as much as it's just kind of like he's the typical character that we see who's trying to get promoted and then of course you know spoilers we mentioned um he finally does at uh, at the end of the season so uh what are your thoughts on kind of this boimler let's call him like the brown noser
1: arc let's say I think it was hilarious, you know, there he was going to such lengths to try and impress the, you know, the captain or whoever else in the command crew. And it just led to all these hilarious moments where he puts himself in an awkward position or uh, he says something and then immediately regrets it because he thinks it's the right thing to say. I mean, the episode where they were on the holodeck making the movie, the whole point of that was so that he could figure out, what he's supposed to say. It's like when you go to a job interview, right? You're trying to learn, like, okay, what is this uh, person who's going to be interviewing me? Like, what do they like to hear? What sort of things do they value as far as who people that are working for them? And he's basically doing the same thing, but he's doing it in, like, the most hilarious, you know, unorthodox way by going to the holodeck that Mariner is set up with all the, like, she's, like, you know... <laughs> read all their personal logs and programmed it all into the computer. And (laughs) I don't know. It just, it was a really funny thing watching Boimler, who's kind of an awkward person trying to sort out like, what is he supposed to say or what is he supposed to do? And, And more often than not, it ended up being the wrong thing to say or the wrong thing to do.
0: The, and the thing about that too, is he ends up learning too much and then he ends up blowing it because he learned, too much, and he couldn't handle the information that he learned, which is just the most Boimler thing that there is, right? So, yeah, I think that there's there's something there, right? I, and I mean, obviously, when we get to season two, we can probably imagine he gets sent back to the Cerritos, and he's going to get demoted, or whatever, but I mean, it doesn't really matter, because that's not what the joke is, right? The joke is is that he's always trying to to reach the brass ring, and he just bumbles and, and messes it up, so... The, the, the smugness when he finally gets onto the Titan at the end. You just know that it's short-lived, you know what I mean? Like, it's you know he's going to blow it, but that's kind of like, who cares? That's the joke, you know?
1: It, it's interesting because, like, Mariner is always getting bumped down because she wants to, and Boimler is, I'm sure, inevitably going to get bumped down because of something he does. So it's kind of interesting that you have two characters who have very different goals, but they all they kind of end up in the same place.
0: Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's probably the reason we get that. Them paired up so much
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly
0: and I also think it's part of the reason too why you know I think that's the main plot arc is kind of the relationship between Mariner and Boimler and kind of their relation and their their thought about command and and and, and being promoted and things like that I don't know that Tendi and Rutherford really have any sense of like an arc throughout the season did you really feel like they had something that occurred to them or, or happened to them or are they mostly just kind of like we're just flushing them out
1: well i would say that they're both sort of trying to do what's best for the ship or for the crew and i guess i, I mean that's not really a an arc or, or anything that's just sort of who they are as as characters but it was it was interesting to see you know on the one hand they're they're facing a crisis and boimler is trying to do the right thing and mariner is trying to do The right thing but not follow the rules and then you have tendy and rutherford who are just sort of doing what they have to to help with the people or the ship so it was you know that pair was kind of kind of had a different job or role i guess to play in the stories but it was it was kind of interesting in a way because because they're they're sort of the altruistic which is altruistic pair which is kind of a starfleet thing they had some interesting moments out of you know this this want to do what's right or to help people
0: and i guess the the last plot arc and probably the character that we didn't mention yet but is the most important perhaps character uh, on the show and that of course is the uss cerritos and the plot arc that the cerritos is never taken seriously it's never given the 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 good jobs or the important assignments and kind of this arc way that you know by the end of the season we are we have a little bit more respect for for the ship and 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 for her crew because uh, you know they were kind of able to uh, fend off the pack lids or at least long enough for the for the titan to show up. What are your thoughts on the ship as a character and as well as the plot arc of the ship not being taken seriously and 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 getting at least some recognition by the time the, sh- the season ends
1: when i think about the ship itself i feel like it's like the jonathan archer of ships like it just gets pummeled <laughs> to like almost to pieces every week it seems like they find themselves in a in a situation where they're the, the ship is just getting getting wrecked and i mean at the end like it was literally in pieces by the end of the season and then they had to kind of put it back together but um i, I don't know i think it was kind of neat that at the beginning like you say they're not there's no respect for the ship or the crew they just get sent off on these like there was even an episode where they were like supposed to go to some like you know pretty prestigious like diplomatic thing on Cardassia and then at the last minute they're like oh never mind you guys have to go and like deal with this garbage spill or something I forget what it was and and the captain was just like oh come on well we finally get a decent assignment and we get pulled out at the last second like what what this is such a ripoff this is so unfair and um, and, and then, but I think by the end, you've sort of, as a viewer watching, you've sort of gained a little bit more respect for this crew. Cause I mean, <laughs> every week there's like some huge crisis and they've, you know, managed to, to manage to, uh, stumble out. Although, uh, you know, pretty, pretty beat up at the end.
0: I'm going to ask you a question that I think I already know the answer to of these three ships, which is your favorite, the USS Cerritos, La Serena. Or the USS Discovery.
1: Probably the Cerritos, because it's the most like Star Trek-looking one of, of the three.
0: Exactly. And I feel like the characters on the ship are constantly sending love towards the Cerritos. Uh, the show specifically makes the time, in a very short show as well, but they make the time to do flybys, to show the nameplate to to give it that sense of love that it deserves, right? I mean, I think that the Next Generation and Voyager and Deep Space Nine, they kind of always had to show the ship because they had to come back from commercial and you had to, like, establish, oh, they're, like, on the ship. So they'd always show the Enterprise driving in or flying away. Uh, and that's, like, something that's really lost in Discovery and it's something that's lost in uh, Picard. But here they purposely put the time in to show the Cerritos a lot. The characters all love it, even though it's like a wreck. And I think that like, <laughs> it's really hard to rank either of those other two ships above the Cerritos, even though the Cerritos is like the joke ship that's on the comedy uh, animated show. So that that says something, or at least it says something to me.
1: Well, we talked about the title card. How how Do you see La Serena in the title card for Picard? I don't think so. Do you see the discovery in the title? You see like the drawing of it flyby at the end but that's it you don't you know you don't get the 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 flybys or the beauty shots yeah you don't get the beauty shots of it in the even in the title cards so yeah it's you hardly see the ship unless there's like a big battle going
0: on right and then it's like amongst a million photon torpedoes so uh yeah i don't know i feel <laughs> like the cerritos you could probably include in the list of characters the same way that i would say that the enterprise d and the tos enterprise and voyager is a character on those shows i would say the cerritos fits the bill for that on this
1: show yeah i would say so for sure okay now we each wrote a blog about uh what we were hoping and expecting from lower decks uh just before the season uh began And I've sort of broken this down into six sort of broad categories that we can just quickly run through and and talk about, uh, you know, were we happy with it or were we unhappy with it or, um, you know, just sort of talk about what we wrote about beforehand. So the first part of that I wanted to kind of mention is uh, the animation because we both wrote about you know how we thought that uh they had some opportunities here to do some things and uh but we were both also hoping that it wasn't like super busy and overwhelming so do you f- we kind of talked about the animation a little bit but as far as what you wrote about do, do you feel like they kind of made you happy with the animation were you happy with that
0: this was the one thing that i knew for sure i knew that it was going to look good i knew that the visuals would be top notch I knew that they were going to use the animation to do expensive fights and to do aliens and to do things that would either be too expensive or just not possible in a live action show. So I, I think you pretty much said the same thing for that as well. So I think that this was the the one for sure that we knew 100%. Um, if it had been horrible animation or, or something, I think we would have been like beside ourselves shocked so this was i think that this one's safe to say that we both nailed the animation was going to be this good
1: yeah i mean the only concern i had was that they weren't they they were maybe going to go too far and make it like really busy or really overwhelming but i thought that they did a really good job of sort of I, i guess showing restraint almost and not going too far uh with the you know whether it's effects or or anything like that and yeah they they certainly took full advantage of the fact that it was animated and they did some they did some things that would have been really tough to do I think in a live action show and uh yeah I was I was really happy with the sort of the animation style as well it's kind of Simpsons Futurama ish
0: yeah it's very polished for sure
1: yeah like it's it wasn't like experimental and it, and I thought it looked really good so Um, yeah definitely a a A plus for the animation Uh, the next thing that we both kind of wrote about was the humor and the jokes Um, and I was you know I was really hoping that like it would be intelligent it wouldn't be like super low brow and I think that you you maybe had a few concerns that they might have gone that direction but uh, how did you feel about what they how, how the humor went and what sort of jokes they were using
0: This is going to be the first of many times in this section that I'm going to say that I was so happy that I was wrong because (laughs) I thought that this would be the kind of show that would take the piss out of Star Trek rather than show so much care and love and admiration for it. I thought the jokes were going to be spastic, unfunny. They were going to be very family guy or very Rick and Morty-esque. I thought that... It was going to be just constantly making fun of the tropes and the jokes and the things that we all hold so true. And like, you know, hand to chest, I couldn't have been any more wrong. They absolutely just killed it. And it came to the humor, the way that they approached it. The care and the tenderness and the admiration that they used here is just... uh, Yeah, like I said, I couldn't have been happier with what I got. And considering I went in with almost zero expectations, it just made it that much better.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with the sort of style of humor that they went with. I think you wrote in your blog, I think that you were worried that instead of laughing with Star Trek fans, they would be laughing at Star Trek fans. And I think that it was very much laughing with us you know they they sort of they poked fun but they weren't making fun of like star trek fans or they weren't making fun of certain aspects of of, of the shows i think it very much was like yeah some of these things like i i point to that scene where the where where mariner corrects the admiral with the way he pronounced sensors he said sensors or right. like, like almost everybody pronounces it sensors and, and that's like, a, it's like a little thing that you, that I think Tuvok was the one character that always said censors for whatever reason, I have no idea why. That was, it, the way that they sort of poked fun at that without making fun of the, you know, us outright, I thought it was sort of a, a good example of how they went about sort of making this a funny show without making it like completely satire or completely a, a parody so I was very, you know, I was pretty happy with the humor. I thought that they did a really nice job of 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 making it funny without making it I don't, I don't know if offensive is the right word to Star Trek fans, but it was very much laughing along with us rather than at us. Uh next we both kind of talked a little bit about the stories in our blogs. You know, did you were you happy with the sort of stories that they were they were telling or
0: Yeah, again, I again I was wrong. I really thought that the whole lower decks thing was going to hamstring the entire show and that they would just eventually default to the command crew similar to the way that remember how Michael Burnham was going to be the star of the show even though she was the first officer not the captain and everybody said like that won't really work it has to be about the captain and then the show came out and it didn't really work because it had to be about the captain and everybody spent all the time talking about Lorca and Georgiou and Pike I thought oh it's just gonna happen again because they're not able to do a show based around the minor characters without the captain always showing up and popping up and the command crew happening. And then they proved me wrong. It actually has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the way that you present the show and the way that you present the characters. And they did it in such a way where, like you said, Mariner has a different perspective on the entire Starfleet thing. The entire Star Trek thing and we all buy it because I think we've all worked crummy jobs with crummy bosses and we're kind of like yeah you know what it is true if you look at it from uh, you know three degrees different perspective all of a sudden the entire thing changes and I don't think it ruins the other Star Treks and I don't think it changes the other Star Treks or anything it's just another story and one that we haven't gotten so again a plus plus
1: yeah the only thing I kind of worried about was that maybe some of them would be a little over-the-top uh, and just be so zany that it's like, oh, is this really Star Trek? But I thought that they did a nice job of keeping it kind of toned down enough that, yeah, it's still funny, but it's not completely ridiculous. And even some of the ones, like the first one, when they had that sort of like zombie thing going on, it was even still like, yeah, the ship was sort of being taken over, but they it was believable because there was that virus. It wasn't just like, uh, you know, it wasn't like half-baked, explanation for why the crew's like turning into zombies so it, it it you know and it didn't really overshadow what they were trying to do with these lower decks characters i mean it's just showing like a shipwide disaster from their perspective so it still worked pretty well
0: and we have seen vulcan zombies before
1: <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> So yeah, no, I thought they were still able to tell really nice stories and really good stories, even though it was sort of uh, on the on the backdrop of a of a humorous concept. So yeah, no, I, I really thought they told some nice, nice, nice stories over the season. Uh, the next thing was characters, and we kind of talked a little bit about the characters already, but. Um, were you know were you happy with with what we got as far as characters go? And I'm also going to include like the the cameos that we get because I feel like we both kind of talked a little bit about cameos in our blog. So what what did you think of the characters, just sort of in a general sense, and and the cameos as well?
0: So I was half right, half wrong on this one. <laughs> I thought that there would be tons of callbacks to old Trek. I thought that there'd be some surprise cameos from, you know, some minor name people and maybe a couple of major name people. So that was right. The thing that I was wrong. And again, so wrong was that I thought that most of the characters would be unlikable and that there would be maybe a couple of peripheral characters that were of interest and that we'd want more of. Couldn't be more wrong. I know that like, I think that the peripheral characters that we want more of is true Uh, You know, everyone loves the doctor, everyone loves Shaxx and Ransom and all all the side characters. But man, you can just tell reading that blog how bitter I was after uh, Star Trek Picard. Uh, I had such little faith in this show and then it just slapped me right in the face and was like, nope, every character you'll love because we're going to write them so that you will love them. And by the time the halfway through the first episode, I was like, oh, I'm wrong. I I completely misjudged this entire thing.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that we got some interesting characters, and characters that you're, like, invested in and you actually like to watch. Uh, And they were, you know, some of them were, you know, and they, like we said, there were some definite differences between them. Uh, They weren't uh, all the same type of character, which is good. And I'm also really glad that the the bridge crew didn't overshadow, because that was one thing that I was kind of worried about, that we might... End up getting a bit more of them, and I'm glad that they didn't go totally bananas with the cameos. Um, I thought it was a pretty good number uh, that we did get, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll continue to you know bring back a few uh, familiar voices and, and characters every so often. Uh, so next, uh, we both kind of talked a little bit about uh, staying true to Star Trek. Being a, a comedy show, which we've never really gotten, I think there was a bit of concern from both of us that maybe they would sort of get off the, the, the Star Trek path a little bit. But uh, I don't know. Do you do you think that the... Uh, was this Star Trek to you? And I mean, we already kind of touched on this a bit.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know that we even need to say much more, man. Like, this was Star Trek to the Atom. It was from top to bottom... The characters, the music, the the jokes, the everything. Like I, I mean, I don't want to maybe go too too far, but I also wouldn't mind going and and just flat out saying that this is as Star Trek as it could possibly have been. Uh, I think that the I, I don't even I can't even explain it. Like I I don't know how this show exists and is so perfectly crafted when. It probably has like a hundredth the budget of Picard and Discovery, uh, which just doesn't seem like they can make it feel and fit in the universe. And then a show like this comes along and it's just like, oh, wait, that's how you do it. And it's just it's just a grand slam. Like it's it's so Star Trek that it's craziest thing in the world. And I, I mentioned it before, but. It's kind of like the show really can't exist if the other series didn't exist. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really make sense and doesn't really work if you didn't have the original series and Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and all the rest of them. But because they do exist, this just becomes almost like the the star on top of the Christmas tree or something. Like It, it just becomes something unique to itself about how good it is.
1: Yeah, I, I think about the messages that they're delivering and, you know, in the end, you know, the characters are all trying to do the right thing, even though they might be kind of breaking rules along the way or, or sticking to regulations along the way. But I think ultimately that's sort of what Star Trek is. It's about doing the right thing and, and you know, helping people. And, and, and that's in the core of the show.
0: It's the core of Star Trek, really.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I, I you know, I think that they did a, a really nice, nice job of of giving us a show that, yeah, it was funny and yeah, it was kind of goofy. But at the, at the end of the day, it, you know, they're still they're still trying to do the right thing. Uh, so the final bit, uh, I think this was something that you more that you sort of wrote about, but we the reception that how the fans would receive this show. Um, you know, you 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 were kind of concerned that it wouldn't be very good and that fans would sort of lash out against it uh i mean i don't know if that's that is actually how it went down but uh what do you think i haven't delved
0: too deeply into it but i i do feel like this show is being accepted way more than discovery and picard and i've heard some people say well you know it's an animated joke comedy show so people aren't taking it as seriously as those shows right Um, and the canonologists and everything else, which I know you hate, but I mean, I think that some people are just kind of able to accept it more readily and more easily. Um, but my general sense is, is that all the naysayers didn't make it much past like the first week. Uh, I did see a couple of YouTube people do second contact and then they all just tended to disappear. Whereas like if you go on to Twitter, on to Reddit, on to wherever after an episode of a card or Discovery, you can find tons and tons and tons of hate for all those shows. Uh, this show, those guys got real quiet real fast. And I think that uh, that says a lot. I think that says maybe more than anything else is that, you know, when you can quiet, when you quiet the haters, you know, you've done something real special.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not one that can speak or take the pulse of the entire world of Star Trek fans, but um, the, you know, I know a handful of people who are, are, you know, pretty big Star Trek fans and they seem to love it. They seem to love everything about it. It's a, you know, they, they laughed but at the end of the day it's it's still a star trek show and and i you know i sort of get the same sense that you do just kind of you know poking around where wherever it be reddit or twitter that a lot of people really seem to like this show and um i I think it's i think the key here is that old school fans like like you and i that grew up in the 90s love this show and the new school, you know, fans that are really loving Discovery and really loving Picard, they also seem to like this show from what I've seen. And granted, that's not, I'm not an authority on this topic, but it, from what I've seen and what I've heard and read, it, it seems like this might be the one that kind of brings everyone together.
0: The most Star Trekky thing it could do.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite right.
0: All right, Matt, this is always my favorite time of the podcast when we do these season reviews, which is the love them or hate them section where we basically go through each of the characters on the show, the main characters anyway, and we just say whether we loved them or whether we hated them and then maybe a brief why. Uh, and then we're going to look at the episodes and we're going to do kind of the same thing. So um, let's start with what I would consider to be the main character, um, although I think maybe some people would disagree. But I think it's safe to say that the main character, Beckett Mariner, or maybe I should say Ensign Beckett Marrier. Is that Love'em or Hater?
1: Uh, Love'em. Uh, I thought that she was sort of a, the like the, the anti-Starfleet that we're sort of used to seeing. So I, And I thought it worked great on the show with the... with, with her and Boimler.
0: Yeah, this was the character that I was for sure thinking was going to be too spastic, too zany, too in-your-face, too loud. And then she kind of was, but I ended up loving her anyway. So it's, uh, it's, it's funny how your perceptions from trailers and stuff can be so wrong. Uh, 100% love them. I think that this is a great character to center a show around and a different, unique perspective. Next up is Bradward Boimler. What is your thoughts on Bradward?
1: uh interesting first name uh, yeah <laughs> I, I i quite enjoyed boimler as well he was uh a bit of a an awkward and sort of bumbling character that that found himself in some interesting situations but uh i thought he worked great on the show and he was quite quite funny and quite interesting
0: okay that's a love him. That's a love him. Yeah. yeah, it's a love him for me as well. I think that Boimler is another one that you could imagine this being a really annoying character, the, the brown noser, the suck up, the kiss up, whatever you want to, to say, but they give enough of a reason for why he's like that that he becomes kind of lovable in his own way. So yeah, we're two for two, Matt. Let's keep the good times rolling. Next up is Ensign Davana Tendi.
1: I'm going to say, I mean, if I could sort of go like neutral, I would. But I do love Tendi, even though she's a bit more bubbly than maybe I would like. She was still kind of interesting enough and it had tons of funny moments just being bubbly and excited about even the most mundane things. So yeah, love Tendi.
0: Yeah. I love Tendi as well. I, I always have a soft spot for the science workers of the, of the ship. So that, that kind of is a big plus for me. I also like too, that they made her an Orion and then they had that that in the movie episode, they kind of mention that, you know, some of the Orions are branching out from pirating and and, and kidnapping and stuff. Uh, and I just love that she's kind of the complete opposite of every Orion that we have seen so far. I, I just love this character. And I, I don't even necessarily think that she's in the funniest stuff. But, like, just her interactions with, like, the exocomp, her interactions with the dog that she made. It's just so wholesome and, and, and lovely. It's, yeah. and Noelle Wells is uh, the person who voices her she's from saturday night live and like she's really lovable as well so i think that probably helps but yeah three for three matt uh let's keep it going with ensign samanthan rutherford sam rutherford do you love rutherford or hate him
1: um i love rutherford too he's uh he's probably of the four he's probably the one i like the the least but he has he's still interesting right like he's got that implant and i liked in the last episode how he had like the The different like mood modes and he was like cycling through (laughs) through them so yeah like they 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 used him in a way to that sort of created some uniquely funny situations because of his his interest in just being he's like a workaholic i guess and and i think they use that pretty pretty well to put him into some you know kind of weird funny situations
0: so that is a pretty strong start from both of us. We both love the four main characters, the four ensigns, which is exactly what you would want if you were writing a show. Let's see if anything changes when we go to the you know, the crooked command crew, the senior staff that Mariner can't stand. Uh, let's see how uh, we feel about them. Uh, first is Captain Carol Friedman. Matt, is that a love or is that a hate?
1: I, I do love Freeman. I think she's like the perfect captain for this kind of not taken seriously ship because she she seems to want to be taken seriously, but still manages to get the ship into these bad situations. (laughs) So um, I I have no problem with Captain Freeman. I thought that she was pretty good and caused some. Hilarious uh, situations, too.
0: That's true. I mean, she, Warp Me is her, like, g- her, you know, uh, engage, which is hilarious. I think that she's a badass whenever there's been any kind of, like, action scenes and stuff like that. She's gone in. She's kicked ass. She kind of has a little bit of, a like, almost all the captains sprinkled in, in a way, which in maybe a longer podcast, we could kind of delve deeper into that. But I do love that there's like elements of her that we have seen before, but she's also kind of her, her own unique spin. Um, so yeah, I mean, a good start. That is a love for me as well. Uh, the next one up is an interesting one cause I thought we were going to get a very deep cut reference, but we never did. Uh, and that of course is commander Jack Ransom. What are your thoughts on Ransom and do you love him or hate him?
1: it's funny i was thinking about i don't know how i got onto this sort of comparison but i i think it was because in that last episode there's that scene where they were like talking to him in his quarters and he was like you know pumping iron and he's like i can't think unless i've been i'm working out or whatever and i, I it made me think of uh the mimbo from seinfeld the male bimbo <laughs> and i thought like that's sort of what jack ransom is he's sort of that it's not that he's not smart but he's you know he's all about like the working out and he's got the six-pack abs and when the pack leds invaded the ship he was like i'm gonna set my fist for stun and my kicks for kill you know like and he's all you know so i I thought that that was a pretty interesting um trope that we don't really get a lot of in star trek the guy who's like obsessed with working out and all that and so i thought i thought he was hilarious i really enjoyed (laughs) ransom
0: yeah, I think, too, that, like, he's kind of, like, one of the movie characters, maybe, like, because he's always, like, ready to shoot, ready to fight, ready to rip his shirt off, you know, and it's kind of, like, that's what we got from Riker and Picard in, like, Generator, or in uh, Nemesis, and it's kind of like Kirk, too. Yeah. It's, again, they've taken all these little kind of Star Trek pieces and turned it into such a good character, so, um, yeah, I'm right with you. I think that that's going to be another love him for me, and that goes into a character you've already said you liked, but... You can go a little bit further into it, which of course is the Bajoran, Shax, the security officer.
1: I love Shax. I I thought that like he was the one that they sort of took like to the max as far as like how far can we push the sort of typical security officer and like like the 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 episode where they're dealing with the Drugmani and he's like. He's like, please let me target their warp core. I've been really good this week. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so, he's just so anxious to get into a, a fight. I just, I loved it. It was so funny.
0: Right. Which is, this, that's the Star Trek joke, right? With Worf, and he always wants to fight his way out of it. And it's kind of like doing this to the extreme. But then I would also kind of go back and say that there's that episode where Rutherford is kind of trying to do some of the other uh, things. So he tries his hand at command and he tries his hand at science and stuff. And then Shaxx is like, what do you think you're doing? We'll, we'll appreciate you no matter where you go. We'll like, you know, we'll support you and help you in all your endeavors. <laughs> like, so he still has the whole Starfleet thing, which I, I do love. Except when he's at the, like, tactical station, then it's just, like... All hands in, yeah. Yeah, all hands are off, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, did you think, I mean, again, we said that there were spoilers. Did you think it was surprising they killed him?
1: A little bit, and it was a bit disappointing, but, I mean, that, that's, like, the exact way that you would have him go, right?
0: Now, I mean, Star Trek, they could bring him back easily.
1: It's true, yep. Uh, and, I, I mean, would you, be, would you be happy to have him back? Oh,
0: absolutely, yeah. He was a great character. He's hilarious. Okay. Now the next one I know is a big internet sensation. uh, And that is Dr. Tana, the Cation uh, Chief Medical Officer. What are your thoughts on Tana? And then I've got a second question to follow up with this.
1: I love Tana. She was, uh, if you would imagine, like one of those like really temperamental and finicky cats that, you know, I'm sure we've all (laughs) encountered in our life. Like that's who she is. And she's all, she's very snappy, very snarky and I, I I don't know. I thought it was pretty. I, I thought it worked great.
0: Now this is my follow up question because this is something that Chris and I talked about on open channel. Do you mind, like, hate the swearing in lower decks? Because I know, because I was on the I was on the season recap for you with you for season two of Discovery. As well as season one of Picard. And in both of those cases, when there was swearing in Star Trek, you poo pooed it. You said you hated it. It didn't fit. And it wasn't, you just wanted it out of there. Then Lower Decks comes along. You've got a character named Tana who almost every episode swears. And yet you still love her. So uh, does it get a free pass from you, uh, the swearing in Lower Decks? Or does it actually still bother you?
1: It doesn't bother me here because it fits because it didn't doesn't feel like they put it in because they wanted to be edgy or because they wanted to be badass or because they wanted to be the one to be like oh yep we are the first ones that dropped an f bomb in star trek history you know it fits it makes sense and it's it feels natural and it you know you don't have an admiral telling a former admiral that you know dropping a dropping a you know f bomb in there for no reason it, it fits it it feels natural to me in this show. It doesn't feel like it's being forced in there for for whatever reason.
0: And what about the bleeping? So they bleep it out in lower decks. Do you wish they just played it normal or do you think that it works with the bleeping?
1: I think it works because it's pretty obvious what they're saying. I feel like it would be might be nice if they offered like an uncensored version, but I don't know the bleeping doesn't really bug me that much.
0: So the rationale that I had for liking it was that this is not the Enterprise. This is not Deep Space Nine. This is a blue-collar ship that is doing blue-collar work, and it's kind of the same way that, you know, you and I, we've worked in factories, we've worked in crummy crummy jobs, and you know that blue-collar guys swear a lot more than the white-collar people, even though I know it's probably not true. But, like, that's the... That's the way that it's shown to us. And so I almost accept it more because it's kind of, this is the lower decks, right? These are these are not necessarily the same standards that we would have for the Enterprise. Like, I think that's the thing that bothers me. Like, Picard should not be running around swearing, but these guys, I, I can accept it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that that's probably reasonable.
0: All right, and our last character, Matt, this may be the only time ever that we're going to get a complete full sweep, uh, and that is the chief engineer, Andy Billups. He doesn't show up in a lot of episodes, but I included him anyway because he is part of the uh, senior staff. Do you love Billups or do you hate him?
1: I'm going to say I love him only because I don't have a good reason to say I hate him. Um, he's, you know, he's a decent character. He's, he seems to be kind of a more like sensitive kind of guy and a little bit more subdued. Uh, but I think that that works because you do have a number of sort of loud and flamboyant characters already. So I, I, I mean, like you say, we don't see him much, but I don't really have a whole lot to say about Billups, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't mind him at all.
0: Yeah. He's kind of like Geordie LaForge if he was like not, if he was introverted, right? Like just, he's kind of like really quiet, really sad almost like there's so many episodes where he just like eats soup quietly you know like <laughs> it's uh yeah you know what I'm gonna do the same and I think we might want to put a little uh post it note on this mat because I never thought we'd get here but that actually is of uh, 100% love for the entire cast of characters which is insane uh and from both of us no less
1: that's true yep I never would have expected that 12 months ago in a star trek show
0: no doubt so let's uh let's switch over to some production notes what uh did you find anything i, I feel like the show is so fresh and so new it's it's kind of hard to to come up with anything but did you find anything
1: i dug up a few interesting things um that you know i don't know if there'd be really a whole lot of discussion but it, it's worth mentioning i think um so mike mcmahon he went um i think alex kurtzman from what i understand was maybe not super keen on doing a animated show but um i guess mike mcmahon like he's a big star trek fan
0: i mean in fairness alex kurtzman wouldn't get a lot of the jokes because he never has watched any star trek so
1: (laughs) (laughs) or well some sometimes you wonder anyways Um, But I guess McMahon really won him over because of his love of Star Trek, and he really put together a really solid sales pitch. So I guess uh, because the show was so good, we're we're lucky for that. Uh, As we know, this is the first animated series on CBS All Access, like period. And it's also the first animated Star Trek series in 46 years, so almost half a century since we had an animated Star Trek series, which is pretty... Pretty incredible, because I feel like Star Trek would be a good show, a, a good franchise that would lend itself well to animation, but uh, it's been a long time.
0: Well, we're getting another one. Star Trek Prodigy right around the corner.
1: Now, this was, you know, focused specifically on the support crew, and, and the whole idea was that, you know, the major events of the ship would be kind of in the periphery of the, of the, the show, and we get a more 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 focus on the support crew and and I think that the inspiration for that was the episode Lower Decks of the Next Generation, which I believe I read Mike McMahon. That's like his favorite episode. Not surprising that the uh, the episode of the same name inspired this uh, this ep- or this uh, this show. Uh, now this was one thing I. Could I found pretty interesting. So he when they went to hire the writers. They, they tried to get writers from like a variety of different comedic backgrounds to, you know, just to balance out the elements of the show. And I think that really showed through because, you know, there was a lot of different sort of type of humor and type of jokes in this. So I, I found that quite interesting.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely didn't know this. But now that I see it and I think back, I can definitely... Uh, I can see all the the pieces there, like there's there's gross out humor, there's smart humor, there's nostalgia humor, there's all kinds of different things thrown in, and I guess that's to kind of appeal to everybody, and even new viewers that are uh, maybe not known to the show, so or the series, so uh, yeah, excellent job, and again, if you take the time to do good writing, it's funny how people love it
1: yeah and that leads nicely into the next point that i sort of dug up now they tried to include trek gags that fan- and we talked about this a little bit already but they actually made a conscious effort to include gags that like die hard star trek fans would know and they would get but they also were trying to make it funny for new viewers so people who had no knowledge of star trek they did still want it to make it a funny show just sort of on the surface so that people that had never seen star trek would still be like you know laughing and and having a having a good time watching it so um that's i I think that's really important actually because you know i think part of the reason why we're getting this sort of star trek renaissance is to to drum up more more interest in the franchise
0: Right, yeah, and I mean, I think that they did a good job honoring the traditional designs as well, like all the stuff that we've seen and the references and the music as well. So um, apparently, uh, Jeff Russo, who he does what Discovery and Picard,
1: that's right, yes,
0: he he wasn't available to do it, so then they got Chris Westlake, which is the person who does Rick and Morty. So that's obviously where they found him because that is uh, McMahon's baby as well.
1: Yeah, no surprise that he would get a composer that he was already familiar with when Jeff Russo wasn't uh, wasn't available. And um, one last sort of little bit is they actually, you know, wanted to make some specific references to the original series. And, and I definitely noticed a few of them, and I think you probably would too. They made reference to the Phylogians, who we actually discussed in uh, a previous podcast where we reviewed a... Yeah, Infinite Vulcan. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head, but I do know that a few other times I, I, they made references that I sort of remembered.
0: Yeah, there's that classic one in the very last episode where they show a picture of Kirk and Spock on like a pad and it's from the live action show, but they used the animated series style visuals and styles. I thought that was really good.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's a, that is another one. Yeah. Yeah, so pretty pretty cool that they uh, they they sort of paid homage to the the late the last animated series.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, since most people probably don't even remember that that show existed, but
1: well, according to some canonologist, it never happened. <laughs> never did, yes.
0: <laughs> All right, Matt. Let's uh, quickly switch over to my second favorite part of the podcast, which is let's go through the ten episodes. And I just want you to give me, was that episode a warp speed or was it a impulse speed? I think that, you know, if you want to go through and and maybe mention your favorite bit or something, that's fine. But if we start talking about our favorite lines and jokes and everything from every episode, we'll probably be here all day. So just give me uh, your uh, warp speed, impulse speed, Uh, the season premiere, the series premiere, uh, Second Contact. What did you think about that?
1: Uh, I would say Warp Speed, uh, I thought it was a good like introduction to the characters and uh, the, the zombie thing was a little bit zany, but it worked, so Warp Speed.
0: They did a great job of hit the ground running. There was lots of little tie-ins, and, and it was very Star Trekky when they went down, and they were helping the farmers and everything. So uh, I think that it started off great. I'm Warp Speed as well. Uh, second episode was Envoys. This is the one where Mariner and Boimler help the drunk Klingon, and then uh, Rutherford tries out the different departments like we talked about. Was that a Warp Speed or an Impulse Speed?
1: Uh, I would say Warp Speed. I thought the drunk Klingon was really funny, and... Uh rutherford trying out the other departments was there were some humorous uh, results from that as well so uh yeah warp speed for me
0: i'm warp speed right along with you this was again sometimes you wonder the pilot it might not be it might be kind of just a one-off this was the one that really made me feel like okay they get the idea here like they know uh they know what they're doing and this is gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun ride Uh, so let's move on to the third episode which was temporal edict this is the one with the buffer time where uh, they find out that the lower decks people have actually been kind of scheduling in time to uh, have them not have so much work which is kind of funny because this is one of the classic star trek tropes, right they can always get stuff done faster than uh, what you'd expect is that warp speed or impulse speed for you
1: Uh, i would say warp speed and mostly because it's a very relatable episode where, you know, it's like, Oh, you guys are slacking off. Like you need to you need to work faster. So it, it was pretty relatable. So I I'll give it warp speed for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this is also like I don't know if you notice in when uh Boimler goes to the Titan, he has his plaque which is the Boimler effect or uh, whatever, he has like a little uh, certificate or what have you. Uh, this is also the episode that ends with the classic Miles O'Brien, way in the future is the <laughs> oh, yeah, most important man in that. Starfleet history. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, which again,
1: that's good, yeah.
0: <laughs> was super funny. Uh, okay, the next one is a Moist Vessel. This is the one where they try to get Mariner off the ship by giving her terrible jobs, but then there's the side plot where Tendy messes up the guy's spiritual journey. Was that a warp or an impulse speed?
1: Um, I'll give it warp. Uh, it, it was kind of a funny idea that like Freeman would try to get Mariner off the ship by just giving her really crappy jobs and then have her request a transfer, And then, but Mariner saw right through it, so it totally worked and backfired. <laughs> I thought it was pretty, pretty, a pretty funny episode.
0: Yeah, I feel like this was probably the funniest tendy episode where she keeps messing up the spiritual journey even though she wasn't intending to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. Again, we can't really spend forever talking about it, but yeah, this is a warp speed for me as well. Um, and that led us to the halfway point, which was Cupid's Errant Arrow. This is the one where Boimler gets the girlfriend that is way out of her league, uh, his league, and Mariner is sure that there's some sort of Star trekian reason for uh, her falling for him. What uh, were your thoughts on it?
1: I'll say warp speed for this one too. It was... Uh... It was kind of a goofy premise to begin with. And then like Mariner thinking that she was like some sort of awful alien because of that one time that she <laughs> saw it happen. It was good. Yeah, it was a funny episode.
0: But it was another one of those ones too where this is like nostalgia to the maximum where she's just rhyming off every reason ever why people would fall in love not for the real reasons and then of course I did like to at the end when she turns out to be right and that it's actually a pheromone producing worm that's attached to himself to Boimler and so unfortunately for him you know she peels that off and all of a sudden he's not that appealing so uh that's a warp speed for me and that was the halfway point so uh, the next episode was kind of the first one that went really into kind of a different uh, era. That was Terminal Provocations, which is the Badgie episode. So this is Jack McBrayer and the Badgie episode. Was that a warp speed or an impulse speed?
1: I'm I'm kind of torn on this one. I wasn't crazy about Badgie. I thought it was a bit gimmicky. But this one also has my favorite moment from the whole season, which we'll get to in a moment. So... I'll give it a warp speed because I did like the sort of other half of the episode, but I thought Badgie was kind of a bit much.
0: Much. Yeah, when they're like beating him to death and stuff and he's like bleeding out, it was a bit extra. I'm going to give it warp speed as well, but this was probably my least favorite episode of the season. Um, I feel like this was also the point where I was like, oh, I hope they're not running out of juice because um, this is... Again, it's the back half, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I hope they're not running out of ideas. This one didn't have as many good callbacks. It didn't have as much to it, but it was still an enjoyable episode, and I felt like when Badgie came back later, I liked him a lot more. Uh, And I mean, it's obviously a goof on the clip, the paper clip from when we were kids, right? With Microsoft Word and stuff, so that part (laughs) was funny. Let's go into the sixth episode, which was much to do about Boimler. This one, obviously, we're going to love because Boimler goes out of phase, just like in... The next phase when Ensign Rowe and Geordie uh, LaForge does. Uh, and then they're going to send him to the farm, which is... A freak show. A freak show, but then it ends up being paradise. real in the end. <laughs> so um, what were your thoughts on much to do about Boimler?
1: Uh, I'll say Warp Speed. Uh, that one was pretty funny. Uh, the whole like transporter accident was a little bit silly, but but it led to uh, some some really funny scenes especially on that that like ship of the damned kind of thing
0: (laughs) this also had like the chain of command kind of episode two where uh they go on like that uh secret mission with like the black jedi or black ninja suits and they bring in a new jellico to Run the ship and stuff, which I thought was also kind of a, a funny thing. Warp speed for me, man, this is this is looking promising. Uh, the next episode is Veritas, and this is the one where they get put on trial, and it ends up being a birthday party.
1: Oh, I love this one. It was so funny. Warp speed, like warp 9.9 warp 9 for me, this was a great episode. There's just so much, there, there were so many pieces of, uh, like this is the one that the, the, the diehard fans probably love the most because there's just so many little pieces in it that, that an, or, you know, an ordinary person would probably not pick up. But I, I love this one. It was great.
0: Yeah, Warp Speed for me. This one, it, it, it reeks of just like all those classic you know, Klingon trials that we've seen in the past, and then the, the joke at the end where it's not actually a trial, and it's just a haul for people to get rented out. Uh, this is also the one where we get Kirkwood Smith, which is a nice little add-in. So uh, Warp Speed for me as well. Uh, the penultimate episode was crisis point. This is the movie episode where Mariner recreates all of the movies to deal with her personal problems. Um, this actually was my favorite episode of the season. I was never a huge fan of the movies growing up, but then they kind of really grew on me. Um, so, I mean, it's obviously warp speed for me, but I think that they did a lot really good here. And I liked the fact that they did a holodeck episode where the holodeck safeties were working, so they were able to like fight and explode and everything like that. So uh, this one is Warp Speed for me. What about for you?
1: Uh, warp Speed as well. There's a lot of really great stuff. Like you say, they, they, I think they covered just about every movie, if not all of them, in this. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch this one.
0: All right. And then this season finale, which I knew that you would love. And there's definitely that one moment where I knew you were just going to completely go bonkers, which was no small parts. This is the huge season finale. There's tons of stuff here. Riker shows up. The Titan shows up. But more importantly for you, and I know this would really hit home, is the pack leads yeah. show up. So what are your thoughts on no small parts? I think it's pretty obvious the warp speed for both of us. But just give me your final thought.
1: I'll say warp 9.8 for this one. This is definitely a warp speed. And yeah, you mentioned uh, the Packlets. I mean, it's not that I particularly like them, although I think they are kind of a perfect alien to turn up in a show like this because they are pretty goofy and funny. But, you know, the the first episode that I ever saw was the Samaritan Snare, which is the episode of Next Generation with the Packlets. So this one, yeah, it really, really hit home to see them show up in... In this show, so yeah, definitely a warp speed here. And I mean, Riker and Troy showing up, I mean, uh, that, that doesn't, doesn't hurt its chances.
0: <laughs> All right, Matt. I mean, this has to be the biggest gush fest that we've ever done. But I mean, you already said your favorite episode. Uh, is there a favorite scene or quote that you want to include with it? And uh, then give me your final thoughts and your rating out of five ensigns.
1: Okay, I'll try and be quick here. So Veritas, as I mentioned, like that was my favorite uh, episode of the season. I would give No Small Parts an honorable mention. Uh, there's a few moments. It wasn't really lines so much as just a few moments that really stuck out to me. I I loved in the first episode that Rutherford's date continued even though there was like a zombie invasion that they're <laughs> dealing with. I love that. I thought it was ridiculous. Uh, when Tiana flipped out at Mariner, when she like spilled her nachos, I thought that was hilarious. She's like, do you know how, my, how hard it is to get nacho cheese out of fur in a sonic shower? I just <laughs> loved that. It was hilarious. I loved Q's scenes uh, in uh, which episode was that much ado about Boimler and my favorite moment of the entire season that, that really stuck out to me. Was the Drugmani captain, like, sort of having that, like, little chess match with Freeman where he's trying to provoke her and she's like, no, we're not going to fight. And he, go, he goes, bleep you. I just love that. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. As far as final thoughts and rating out of five ensigns, um, I'm just going to be very brief with this. It, this show is a hit, like, for what it was supposed to be, it, like, it hit the bullseye completely it was funny it was goofy but it was also a a true to form star trek show and the callbacks and the easter eggs were, were were good they were tasteful they weren't overdone i mean i'm feeling like this is a five out of five season i mean it's i can't really find anything that i didn't really like at all so five out of five for me
0: Wow. Uh, I am going to actually take a non-comedy bit from my favorite moment or my favorite bit. It is from my favorite episode, which was Crisis Point. I think my favorite thing, because it's so Star Trek, is when Mariner programs all of her own personal logs into uh, the holodeck in order to deal with her personal problems rather than go to that bird psychologist who always talked about food. And then when she's fighting with herself, literally, the... copy of herself kind of like solves the problems or like kind of talks the problems out in like a weird one of those mirror kind of of things i feel like that was probably my favorite part because it was like oh we can still do star trek stuff we can still do sci-fi stuff, and we can still do uh, important things while we're doing all the jokes and all the throwbacks and all, all the all the gags. Uh, this show was everything that I could have ever hoped for, it and more. When I watch Discovery and Picard, I literally look and I say, I'd change this, I'd do that, I would make this character more important, I'd do that. This show, I wouldn't, I couldn't do it better. I honestly couldn't. If I sat down and I tried for a million years, I don't think I could ever do anything even half as good as what I'm getting. And so, uh, yeah, this is 5 out of 5 ensigns for me. Uh, Let's take the 4 ensigns from the show. We'll throw Harry Kim in there for good measure, and this is 5 out of 5. I absolutely love this show, and I feel like, in a weird way, it's like one of my favorite Star Trek series. Even though it can't exist without the other ones, it's easily up there with one of my favorite series that they've done.
1: All right, Andrew, I think we've uh we've we've done a good number on Lower Decks here and uh as you know, uh if you're a regular listener, once the season's done, we'll take all the uh the Lower Decks episodes that we just talked about and we are going to put them into the uh the packled helmet of episodes that we'll draw from uh during our regular podcast. So that means that uh it's certain it's possible now that we could draw a Lower Decks episode to review.
0: And I would love, love, love to pull out a Lower Decks episode because I feel like with all the nostalgic throwbacks and the tie-ins and the gags and all that kind of stuff, if we were able to really sit down and dissect this on a regular episode of RTR, I think that it could be a really, really good time. And uh, I want to go back and watch all the episodes anyway, but going back and watching it with a fine-tooth comb – and a finely sharpened pencil would probably be uh, just as fun. And, I mean, let's face it, if either one of us pull out a lower dex in the next little bit, I'm pretty sure we're going to be getting 5 out of 5 for what happens in the episode.
1: Indeed, I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, low scores for this uh, this season. So um, thanks a lot for joining us uh, on RTR uh, during this special bonus episode. And uh, if you're interested in these season reviews, we'll be back in about 13 weeks uh, when Star Trek Discovery Season 3 wraps up. And we'll uh, we'll give you a similar cross-section of, uh, of what happens in Season 3 with uh, another bonus episode. All right. So look for that. Bye-bye, everybody.
0: This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. And it was a very Star Trek way to deal with that type of internal conflict, too. Mm-hmm, you definitely. know, I really loved that. She's working it out with her holographic self. And it was also very Jungian, like her subconscious Mm -hmm. her unconscious was becoming conscious, and it was actually her that was that was talking, the actual Mariner that was having the realizations
1: as she was talking to the holographic character, which I thought was really cool.
0: Loading HollowSuite preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast before that timepiece stopped working mm-hmm,
1: that really because ugly, he saw it in the shop window that really ugly timepiece.
0: when i first watched it i thought okay yes this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or
1: mm-hmm. on a
0: wall somewhere but later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket do they not have watches <laughs>
1: yeah. oh it's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people it's like nope this is just a big clock for my pocket
0: it's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious.
1: Is that a clock in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock.
0: It's most definitely <laughs> a clock. <laughs> Loading Sweet Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Because we all kind of have that, really. We all have this unconscious part of ourselves that... Comes to the forefront and says, "Nope." Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have an a, adrenal response, and so is it similar to that? I mean, are
1: there Kelpians that have stage fright, and so the little ganglia will come up if they have to do public speaking? <laughs> it's, it's Quite like, probably. I'm we just don't know. Yeah. yeah,
0: if they if they had plays, <laughs> it didn't seem like they really had yeah. that kind of entertainment down on Kavanaugh Computer, deactivate Hollow Suite.